Empathy is a powerful thing. It, see, people confuse it with sympathy. Yes. They think, you know, sympathy is, I feel sorry for you. But empathy is saying, can I see things through another person's perspective? Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance Weekly Scrap, number 39. Very excited. We've got Chief Frank Viscuso on the scrap, author of best-selling books, Step Up and Lead, you know, Step Up Your Teamwork, mm-hmm. Common Valor, and It's Time to Step Up. And that does not even include the operational guides, the training uh, scenarios, highly sought after and respected public speaker, instructor, motivator in all walks of life, host of the Flashpoint, the fire inside. I am lucky enough to have him on the scrap today. Uh, So thank you, Chief, for coming in. Kidding me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Corley, for the invite. All right. So everyone watching live, if you have questions for... Frank Viscuso, please do not hesitate to send them in on the comments. Uh, did I miss anything or anything you want to add, Chief? No, no, it's very good. I'm, I'm excited to just start having a fun conversation. Awesome. All right. Then I'm going to just dive right off into it and waste no time and say, I want, I love understanding people's motivation. That's one of the things that drives me is just peeking inside their brains. And you have been uh, doing this at a high level um, for a long time, not just your fire service, but also the authors. Uh, I don't, I couldn't even count how many articles you've written and, um, you are plugged in and fired up. What is your secret to staying plugged in and fired up and keeping that intensity level up? Yeah. You know what? Listen, I think it's just, I think it's how some people are made, uh, to be honest with you, cause I've always had this burn, uh, you know, burning desire. First of all, I love being a part of a team. I love being a part of a team and, uh, there's no better team than the fire service just in general. So being a part of it for as long as I have, uh, it's been something that I just said, if I'm going to be a part of this team, I want to be the best that I can. And I didn't start out that way. I talk about this a lot in my seminars and books. You know, I was a guy who always did what I was told to do, but I never did more than expected. And that wasn't because I didn't want to do more than expected. It's because I thought, you know what, I'm stepping over my my boundaries if i do something like that i didn't realize that that was a valuable trait uh for someone uh, is someone that does more than expected but once i kind of wrapped my brain around this concept of oh wait so i can do more than expected i can do what i would i uh feel compelled to do to try to make my organization better my team better myself better i just got drawn into that and it's just never stopped i mean it's there's always and I think social media helps me. A lot of people look at social media like it's a bad thing, but social media helps me because I stay plugged into all the right people. Right. I follow motivational pages uh, of people that are doing similar things. Uh, it makes me think a lot. It, it stretches me and it makes me, uh, I guess, evaluate some of the ways I look at things. You and I were having a brief conversation just before we went live and we were talking about step up and lead. You know, I wrote that book many years ago. A lot of that has actually evolved since then. Um, right. A matter of fact, I've read some of my favorite leader books, leadership books after I wrote Step Up and Lead. Like, I love It's Your Ship. Right. Great leadership book. I read that after I'd written Step Up and Lead, and it's because someone said, have you ever read this? It right. was Jim Duff. I said, no. He said, um, I think you'll like it. It's very much in line with some of the things you teach. And I read that book, and I said, I wish I read it I, <laughs> before. Yes. 
But then when I told him, I called him up, I said, Jim, I'm going to tell you something. Had I read that book, I may have never written Step Up and Lead because it's saying everything that I really wanted to say in a different way. Sure. But but to come back to your question, I read a book like that. It gets me more fired up, you know, and I'm, I'm always engaged with trying to make myself and people around me better somehow. So um, I guess it's, again, maybe it's just the way some people are made. Gotcha. Uh, I'm always always chasing something, and I'm okay with chasing something because I learned to really enjoy that journey. More about the journey than the destination for you, you would say? I think so. I think so. I mean, I don't think I, I've arrived anywhere close to where I want to arrive. Uh, at the same time, I think I'm further than I ever anticipated to be, Right. On. if that makes sense. No, it does completely. It's like, yeah. uh, do you think there is a destination? You know what? I think there is a destination where you can reach and say, I'm content, I'm happy, um, but I hope that doesn't happen to me till I'm in, well into my 80s. Right on, you know? right on. Because I really do, I appreciate the chase. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's it comes with anything, you know, even as a coach. You know, I, I, most people know that I coach uh, baseball and I coach Little League and and uh, we've won some, some our teams that we've coached have won a lot of tournaments, a lot of games, championships. And at the same time, you, you feel like you never quite arrived because that's just a stepping stone. And there's something about the games you lose that are just as thrilling as right. the games you win because of the lesson you can take with it. Because that's one of the things I just briefly kind of introduce you to my kids. Both of them have ear infections from swimming in the bay all day. Always so fun. they're both with eardrops in one ear watching SpongeBob, right? <laughs> so, uh, and they're young. Uh, but uh, I, I just want them to learn these lessons of uh, you can have a bad day, but still uh, succeed in the end because you didn't give up. Absolutely. And, Love that. Yeah, that. That's part of what it's about, you know? Absolutely, man. I, I, truthfully, I mean, you can find out a lot about yourself when you're winning, but you find out so much more about yourself in those losses and how you react. That, that's to the truth. And uh, you find out more about your entire team when you lose. There it is. When you're winning, everybody gets this false sense of – matter of fact, I just did a podcast with the head coach for Princeton Wrestling, and, and I said, how do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with losses? And what he said was – that's when you identify your weaknesses and that's when your your wrestlers are more open to hear your criticism because when they're winning a division one wrestler at princeton when they're winning they're obviously very smart talented kids they would have never made it to the most difficult school to ever get into sure and they're wrestling for it and are one of the top schools in the country top 10 in the country so when they're winning i guess it's pretty easy to get an ego but then when you lose that's when you sit down and say, Coach, tell me how to get better. Where can I so, get better? Something about Ooh, nice. Hannah Elliott has chimed in and said, uh, what is a specific point from Step Up and Lead that has evolved in your own perspective after, over time? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's any one specific point that has evolved. I think ultimately, uh, I'll tell you one thing, and I love that question, by the way. But I'll tell you one thing that, that I that I have learned would step up and lead is that I can't motivate you. Only you can motivate you. And when I'd written that book, I'd written that book saying, okay, anyone that reads this book is now going to know how to become successful if they haven't figured it out yet. Cause I'm going to teach them everything that I figured out 
on how to become successful. But what I didn't take into consideration is uh, there's plenty of people that just don't want to, uh, they don't want what you want, right? No, it's yeah. like as a coach, right? As a coach or as a, as a deputy chief, I want, I wanted us to be the best crew we possibly could. And I remember having a conversation with one particular firefighter on my shift who just did not, he just wanted to do the bare minimum. And I brought him to the office and I sat down with him and the officer and I told him what I expected from him and what I wanted from him. And w- which was quite honestly more than what, more than the, the bare minimum. Sure. And without getting too much into detail, he basically said to me, he didn't want to do any more than he was doing. And the crazy part is the way that our whole system is set up. Listen, it's not my company and we're, we have a union and he is doing a bare minimum. So he's doing his job. So I can't say, well, then I'm going to have to let you go. So at the, the bottom line is I have to accept the fact that he's not willing to do more than I needed him to do. Now that that was hard for me when I written step up and lead. I kind of, I kind of figured, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to motivate anybody. I'm going to be able to motivate any. Right. <laughs> it's just not the reality. Some people don't want to be motivated. Their job is to be the anti-motivator, uh, motivated person, if, if that makes sense. Oh, no, without a doubt. And and I think you touched on probably one of the most frustrating things for people who who want to improve not only themselves, but their crews or their, their departments or their cultures is is the person that just straight up doesn't. Right. And finding a way to deal with that, I you know, yeah. Uh, Hannah also asked, and Hannah is uh, always asked the best questions, so you just have to uh, love it. When and why did you begin writing? You know, Hannah, that I that's a very interesting question. Now, I'd written some articles, some PR articles for art department for local papers. Uh, I had written uh, an article also on. Um, the very first article I'd written for Fire Engineer Magazine was was how to legally uh, obtain buildings for training. Uh, that were buildings that were going to be uh, torn down. But as far as writing books, it's a very interesting story because it happened after 9-11. And I have to explain this. I work in New Jersey. And uh, we're in Kearney, New Jersey is a, a, our department, which is if you're in Manhattan, you have across the Hudson River, you have Jersey City. And then you have Kearney and we're on a hill. So from my firehouse and from my backyard of where I grew up, I could see a clear unobstructed view of the New York city skyline. So when nine 11 happened, I I can see the buildings, you know, with my own eyes. And, and uh, a couple of days later, I mean, everybody was called in to protect our town. Uh, But uh, a couple of days later, more than 30 of us went over to see if there's anything we can do to help. And having experienced that, it was kind of a numb feeling. It, the whole time, I actually didn't feel like I was actually there. It's almost like you were watching, you know, like you're experiencing, like you're watching a movie or you're out of your body because the impact. I mean, you're standing on what was the Twin Towers, moving buckets of debris, debris back and forth. And and it was this was an evolving thing that happened the days after 9-11. But what I had realized was I was not living the life that I wanted to be living. And what I mean by that is there were so many, I I was always talking myself out of success. If there was something I wanted to do, 
and let's take write a book, for example. There's, so I wanted to write a book. Well, you know what? I'm not smart enough. I barely made it out of high school. Right. Uh, you know, I have a very limited vocabulary. I don't know the difference between an adverb and an adjective. It'd be crazy. I type with two fingers. And this is all true when I wrote my first book. Nice. It's all true. So, but after 9-11, what I started to do is, as I said, I'm not going to let fear drive me anymore. And I want to, I want to design my life. And even if I fail, the fact is I just learned that it could be taken away like that. And because I experienced that, I said, I'm willing to fail. I'm okay with failing. So I made the decision. I wanted to write a book. I bought a tape recorder. I went out. I interviewed some people. I started writing. I struggled. I bought a book on how to write a book. The right. first book I read cover to cover was how to write a book while I was writing my first book. Right on. Yeah, this has come about. <laughs> when I was done, uh, Corley, I had no idea how to get a book published, you know? So, And matter of fact, if I tried to figure out how to get the book published before I wrote it, I would have never wrote it. I can only imagine. Right. right. So I went back to Barnes & Noble and I bought a book on how to get your book published. Told me I, I needed to find an agent. So I sent out sample chapters to 50 different agents with a return envelope uh, so I can get the response back because this is before the internet was as developed as it is. And one by one, I received 50 rejection letters back. Perfect. Right? I still have them to this day. Awesome. Yeah, as a father of three boys, they know their dad as a best-selling author that travels the world teaching from his books. What they don't know is the guy that was turned down by 50 agents. And that's who I want them to know. Because what I did after that is I said, if I can't get an agent to represent me, I'll represent myself. And so I just started making calls. One of the guys I called, this is the beautiful thing about the fire service, was was Harvey uh, Eisner from Firehouse Magazine, who passed away since. But um, I called up I said, Mr. Eisner, you don't know me. My name's Frank Viscuso, but I wrote a book about firefighters. Do you publish books? He says, I don't, but I know a guy who does. He actually introduced me to the guy that ended up publishing my book. That's awesome. And that's how it started. But the thing is, that book, Common Valor, was written out of inspiration. I was inspired to do it. And Corley, there's two things, and I'm talking to Hannah too, there's two things that I think motivate people to want to take action. And that's either inspiration or desperation. And when you're desperate or frustrated to a point where you know you need to make change, that's the other thing that leads the person to say, all right, I'm willing to get uncomfortable and make this change. And I have used both of those things, inspiration and desperation, as the catalyst uh, to motivate me to try to achieve a higher level of success in life. I love it. I'm going to steal it, and I'm going to put it on a picture as a motivational thing. Yeah, please do. Please right. do, because uh, it's not original. <laughs> I don't you know, know, it's just something that I found to be valuable. That's very. Uh, and Hannah said, I'm just hijacking discussion. Don't let me totally take it away. But, no, I appreciate the questions, Hannah, always. And uh, it led to so, – I, I, that was a very powerful uh, story on what started you down that path. Not to mention, uh, I, I, my son is turning 20 next week, and so he is my, he's our baby. And it's weird watching your children grow up because you teach them all these things, but they have the ability to frustrate you by seemingly not absorbing anything you're saying. And then one day you come along and they hit you – with something where they're like, Oh wait, he was listening this whole time, you know? So that, uh, the lesson you can teach with those 50 rejection letters on perseverance and, uh, 
yeah, is is powerful. That's to me. That's the impressive part of the story, and so passing that along to them. Well, right. I feel a little scared that, by the way, because I, I, I want people to. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day, and uh, we were talking because I'm supposed to be doing the keynote in 2021 at FDIC, and we were talking about the keynote, and he's a guy who I was supposed to do it this year, but right. COVID 19 hit. Oh, of course, uh, it never. Uh, uh, I, I have the keynote that never will be written, <laughs> and now I'll have the new one. Right. Which will probably, but but one of the things I did was I recorded it and sent it to him because he had done a keynote before, and I said I, I just want your take on it. And he called me back up and he goes, you know, he goes, it's great because people know you. They know you as the guy that travels the world and and teaches. They know you as a best selling author of all of these books, but they don't know how you started. And you talked about it, and he goes, it's, it's really encouraging. Uh, and I said, well, look, I said, the, the thing is, is when I teach, I think the, the reason why I, I may be able to connect with so many people is I don't teach as if I'm a guy that has it all figured out. I teach as if I'm a guy that I'm going to tell you my mistakes so you don't have to make them, but I'm still trying to figure it out. Right and I think people, people, I guess, can relate with that. Sure, dude, absolutely. I, I know I can. Whenever whenever uh, an instructor comes in and is just raw, honest, and vulnerable, it makes you uh, connect. And it's hard to yeah. do, man. So are, are you ever going to release the keynote speech that never was? I think I am at some point. You know, I'm going to talk to Bobby Halton about it. Sure. And maybe uh, after I give mine, maybe we'll, we'll do something where I just send it out there. Yeah, the keynote that never was, right. maybe that'll be the title of it. Um, and, and who knows? I mean, it's an interesting thing because everything that's happening today, uh, all the challenges that we're going through just as a country, uh, society in general, it makes you rethink a lot of things. A lot of the things that you talk about, uh, my buddy, Tony Perez out in Florida and I, we were talking the other day and Tony says, you know, he goes, uh, your people need this book, step up and lead more now than ever. Agreed. Yeah. I was grateful that, that he feels that way about it. But I think it's just because it's just talking about how to treat people right. We could disagree with things. I don't understand at all why people seem to feel like you have to hate the opposing point of view. You don't have to hate the opposing point of view. I mean, there's three ways people typically deal with conflict. You could ignore it, and that doesn't work. You could fight it out where there's a winner and a loser. That doesn't work. Or you could compromise. And I've never found a difficult time saying, all right, I don't agree with you. But I could feel good about this outcome if you could feel good about this outcome. You know, is there a way we could both feel good about the outcome? If so, that's what compromise is. And it works. It has worked forever. But people think right now you have to be so firm in your beliefs that you have to hate people that think anything other than what you think. And you have to try to take them down. And that's not ever what I've been about. I've been always about trying to find ways to lift people up. Because I'm attracted to people like that, too. So hopefully we have more of that in the world. And that empathy, man, that empathy. And you talk about it in Leaders Teach. And so just being yeah. able to identify with that other person, man, that's that's strong. That's it. Empathy is a powerful thing. It, see, people confuse it with sympathy. Yes. They think, you know, sympathy is, I'm, I feel sorry for you. But empathy is saying, can I see things through another person's perspective? Because if you could see it through their perspective, and I don't know why, I'm made this way, but I feel like this is the way that I am made where I could 
see it. I could totally disagree with you, but I could still see your point of view and get it to a point where sometimes I'm sitting down with people where we all agree that things should be a certain way. We all agree this. And I'm sitting down arguing the opposing point of view. And they're saying, wait, but I thought you agreed with us. I do agree with you 100%. However, I'm just trying to let you see it through the other person's perspective. Right. Because I'm, I'm brought up in, in Kearney, New Jersey. You know, I know what it's like to be a city boy. I don't know what it's like to be a country boy. So if I have a, a conversation with someone that has a completely different background, who's embedded in their beliefs because of their uh, life experiences, they're different than my life experiences. You know, so the sign that I might hold up is going to be a different sign than you might hold up. But that doesn't mean that I can't value you for your beliefs. And I think we need more of that yes. today. More than I-, I love it. Love it, Chief. It's not that zero sum game. No. Joseph Kitchen asks, Frank, did you take any criticism from firefighters in your department and surrounding departments when you first started writing, teaching, etc.? Was anybody like, who does this guy think he is? If so, how did you handle it and how would you suggest other people handle it? Joseph, it's good to, to hear from you, my friend. And um, yes, of course. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, first of all, consider this for for. Um, or I guess uh, a little food for thought. I'm about very close to releasing my, I think it's my eighth book, right? You don't write eight books without critics. Okay? <laughs> you don't write eight books without critics. You don't speak without critics. You don't get promoted to deputy chief without critics. Uh, so you're going to get them. I have plenty of them. And uh, I, I don't think I have that many, to be honest with you, but I have enough to where um, it used to bother me. You know, it used to bother me because I would think, why don't they understand? Right. But then I started to think about it this way. You know, there's there's life enhancers and there's lawnmowers in life. Okay. A life enhancer is someone that says, you know what? I believe in you. You can do it. I'm with you. I support you. The lawnmower is this person that tries to cut you down. But here's the thing about the lawnmower, Joe. They never leave their own backyard. They're just trying to prevent you from leaving yours. And once I put that in perspective, I thought, okay, now I'll tell you this. I, I very, very, very rarely ever talked about my books or my seminars at work. The only time I ever talked about them is if somebody I was working with started asking me about them. So I didn't bring them up uh, because I wanted to keep that all separate. That being said, um, I know a lot of instructors. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with all the, the you know most well-known people in our industry. And I could tell you, a lot of them have dealt with uh, challenges from some people. A lot of times it comes from above, too. You know, it's like maybe yeah, you may have some insecure leader who doesn't want to see you achieve success. Maybe they're afraid of something you're going to say. I know a couple friends that are instructors that who their chiefs would often say to them, oh, was that meant for me? And right. no, uh, you know, maybe I, I can understand why if you're writing about um, why people leave jobs they love, or if you're writing about uh, ineffective leaders, it's easy for a person that is supposed to be leading you to think it's about them. But that's not the case. I mean, the fact is, especially now in my life in particular, 
I mean, again, I, I speak to thousands upon thousands of firefighters every year from multiple different departments. Sometimes it's 300 from one department. Sometimes it's 300 from 30 departments. Right. And so we're having breakfast, lunch, and dinner with these guys and girls, and they're sharing stories with me, and and it's triggering some thoughts. And I'll, I'll write an article or put something in a book or share something in a seminar, and it's easy for someone to think, that's me he's talking about. But a lot of times it's not anybody. So all of that stuff kind of exists. But I think that um, if your heart's pure, and I know yours is, Joe, uh, if, you're, if your heart's pure and if you're doing it for the right reasons, the right people will be attracted to the message. And the ones that are going to be critics, you need them. You need the critics. You know, uh, for me, they're fuel. Um, you know, it, it keeps me motivated to not get complacent. And here's the thing about critics. I listen to them. I actually listen to what they say because there's been times when they were right. And they would say maybe a way that I'm coming across or a message that I shared. Uh, this is what I got used to doing. And if you follow me on Step Up and Lead, sometimes I'll write a passage in a book that I'm working on or an article. And I'll take a paragraph and I'll think, I, I think this is saying what I want to say. So I'm going to post this. And now there's, you know, 60. I think 62,000 followers on that page, right? So when I post this paragraph that may be on micromanaging, sure. I'll get 100, 200 comments. And some of them will be like, Chief, I disagree. And they share their thoughts and it'll make me think a little bit deeper about it. This happened multiple times. And other times, you f I mean, I, I posted something a month ago that reached 7.2 million people. Ooh. And and very few people had any criticism at all about it. So I said, okay, so that's a powerful message. I need to build on that a little bit and, and, and fine-tune that. But sometimes I post stuff that, you know, I'll get 30 negative comments out of 50. And I'm like, okay, so I'm missing a mark with that. And I have left private messages for people and thanking them for bringing attention to the way something came across, which may have been wrong. Wow. Uh, so, so you don't have to take it personal. I, I tell, you know, I, I, and I might leave this, uh, this is part of something I wanted to talk about in my keynote is um, critics don't define you. You just can't allow them to have that type of power. And it's okay for you to disagree with people and you to be the bigger person to say, I'm not going to be offended. I'm just going to head, continue going in a direction that I want to go in and not allow this person or that person to distract me. Uh, at the same time, have enough respect to listen to them and absorb some of it, but don't let it stop you from going where you want to go. And I don't know if I said that the right way. I know the way I wrote it in the keynote is, is a lot more, uh, it's more well thought out and articulate than that. I just can't remember the words because I, I, I forgot that keynote uh, three months ago. I think you said it very well right there. So uh, if it was more eloquent in the keynote speech, then so be it. But that's uh, pretty well defined right there, just the okay. way you stated yeah. it. Uh, you think it's just uh, like uh, you, you have be you're a best-selling author. You, you speak uh, uh, around the world, but yet you uh, take the time to self-criticize based off comments is that just humility is it something you've always had is something you've worked on well here's something if people knew 
how big of a critic I was of myself. They wouldn't waste their time trying to be. <laughs> That's the reality. They could they couldn't be harder on me than I am on myself. And I and I don't say that in a way that it bothers me. It doesn't bother me to be hard on myself. It's what drives me to want to be better. Um, I, I listen. I have a lot of friends that are professional athletes. One of them right now is in Abu Dhabi preparing to fight for the UFC this weekend, and he's been fighting for twelve years. And he's been a top ten fighter for twelve years. He's been a champion for two. Right. So I have I have a lot of friends. Some some are professional baseball players and not one of them is content. Not one of them is content. They're always chasing something, trying to get better, always improving. Um, during COVID-19, this whole lockdown, my two boys that play baseball and I coach them. I had one of their teams, but they um, they were out practicing every day. And when I say every day, I mean every day. We were out doing something. Sometimes we'd be in the, in the house uh, working, and other times we'd go to the field. And one day we go to a field, and right next to us, in the field right next to us, and it's probably about maybe about 11 o'clock in the afternoon on like a Wednesday, right after our little homeschool session, right? We're doing the remote learning from home. And then I take them both. They're young. Again, they're both under the age of 11. Uh, I, I take him in the car with my wife. We go down to the field and we work out. And as we're working out in a field next to us is a professional baseball player that plays for uh, for uh, for Texas, okay, the Rangers. And he used to play with the Mets and the Yankees. But he's he's working out with his brother in the field next to us doing ba- uh, batting practice. And it's just me and my boys. And so I sit them down after our practice and I say, hey, let me ask you a question. I said, look around. I said, what do you see? There's five fields, right? Baseball fields. I said, yeah. I said, and what else do you see? And they, they mentioned a player, and they know the player. Okay. But they mentioned a player who's over there working out. I said, yeah. I said, and what else? They said, nothing. I said, well, I see something. I see you two doing the same thing a professional baseball player's doing. That's why you're good. Because you're willing to do things that other people are not willing to do. And if you continue to do that in your life, and I tell them this all the time, I don't care if you want to play baseball, if you want to wrestle, if you want to be an accountant, a firefighter, it doesn't matter to me what you want to be. What matters to me is you take the lesson you're learning right here today on this field, which is you're doing something that nobody else is doing right now, except the guy that's making millions of dollars doing. Yeah. Learn that lesson. Now, my kids have my genetics, so being a professional baseball player is probably not in the cards. But, I mean, maybe they'll play in college one day. Right on. At the very least, I don't care. It's about the lesson of putting more work in than the other people. And with that will come critics. So what? It's part of life. If you don't have any critics, what are you doing in life? Probably not much. It's powerful stuff, Chief. And I can't think of a better example than having a professional athlete doing and, and pointing out to your kids. I mean, that's uh, that's got well, to stick know, with them. What's interesting about it is, see, I, when I grew up, so I grew up with uh, with two uh, soccer players, Tony Miola and John Harps. Okay, so I went to high school with these guys and 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 knew them pretty well. Tony, I knew better than uh, John, but I know them both pretty well. And uh, and they both went on to become. Uh, they played in the World Cup. Uh, several World Cups for the United States and went on to become professional soccer players. And they both went overseas and played, uh, you know, so they became, you know, two of the the greatest soccer players 
to really ever come out of America at this time anyway. And these are kids I, I grew up with. So I saw it happen. And the thing that, that I watched was they just, they had such a passion and a love for it. And they, and they, and they, and yeah, there was some natural athletic ability there, but it was more about the, the, I can't get enough of it. And that's how they were. They just couldn't get enough of the sport. But see, my kids are, are, again, they're young and we're friends with professional athletes, not just those guys I just mentioned, but some of the professional athletes here in Tom's River, where I live, who we've been at our house, they've been to our house, our kids are friends with their kids. And next thing you know, they're fighting on TV, playing sports on TV, and my kids are watching them. So in my, in their mind, I can't imagine what's happening. They have to think, hey, you know what? Yeah, if I want to be a professional athlete, that's not that difficult. All I got to do is just work hard for it because there's, because their friends' dads are professional athletes. And see, I didn't have that growing up, although I did see my friends go ahead and do it. So, uh, I mean, imagine growing up, Corey. I mean, I didn't grow up this way. Uh, but, but imagine growing up from a young age, six, seven, eight, nine, truly believing that anything is possible. Because there are times when I talk to my boys and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? There's times when they say firefighter, there's times when they say artist, there's times when they say professional baseball player. And whatever they say, they truly believe that it's possible. And I love that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, for me, maybe I had more uh, limiting thoughts, again, until 9-11 when I started to say, let me just kind of pluck those thoughts out so I can go create my life. It's powerful, Chief. That's all I can say about it. Uh, Howard Weinwald said, great damn point to you. Uh, he also Thank said, you. no one in your own area thinks you're an expert. You have to go at least a hundred miles away. They hate that you threaten them. So they hate you. Yeah. You know what? Listen, you can't be a prophet in your own land. That's Isn't it. that the truth? Yeah. Um, I think it's just part of the game. You know, it's part of the game and, and it's okay. Uh, and, and I have a lot of friends, uh, that I work with, um, or I worked with, uh, prior to retiring from the department and, and are still great friends yesterday. I spoke to one of them, you know, just pick up the phone. We called, and this is what he said to me. He goes, you and your brother, because my brother's a retired deputy also. He goes, you and your brother are the only two firefighters that I ever worked with that still call me just to say, hey, what's up and how are you doing? He said, everybody else that calls, calls because they want something. And I thought, well, that was pretty cool. That is. No, it speaks a lot. It speaks volumes. And Joseph, of course, came back and said, thanks for your insight, Frank. I appreciate it. No so, problem, brother. Good talking to you. Dude, that's awesome. Okay, cool. so I don't know if we'll get to half these things I wanted to talk about, but we're just going to touch on them till 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 we get there. Um, uh, chapter two traits leaders teach: uh, loyalty, education, adaptability. You know the whole leaders teach, and it's it's huge. I love it. Uh, I wish I had come up with it, but not the point. Huge Maxwell fan myself, and I know you uh, have at least uh, quoted Maxwell in your books. But he likes to espouse: uh, you work on your weaknesses. Or don't work on your weaknesses because you can only get them so high, but work on your strengths. And me personally, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. So I wanted to get your take on uh, which one a person should work on more. Yeah, you know what? Listen, um, I I subscribe to that concept to a certain degree, but I also feel like this. Um, I'm going to share a baseball story for you to make this point more clear. Okay? So when I started... Uh, my first travel team. They were seven-year-olds. And 
you'd say have travel at seven. Yes, travel actually starts at seven by us. And a matter of fact, I mean, I coach in Tom's River East Little League, and and they're kind of Tom's River is a powerhouse in, in in baseball. They really are, and we have uh, a lot of great teams in the area. But when we started this particular team, and my youngest son is on it, we had it. We were we were good to the point where I thought I don't I can't even see these kids losing. I really can't. However, in the very first game we played, we lost by 10 runs in four innings. And it didn't take me long to realize why. We played the same game they played. We just played at a different speed. They played with urgency. They played with specific intent. And our kids were just playing like it was a practice. So we had to change a few things. We had to change the way that we uh, we were practicing. And then we ended up winning. Well, shortly after that, another guy started a travel team. And ended up taking my four pitchers with them. So now I have a team with no pitchers. So we had to rebuild. Now we grabbed a few more kids. But we went to indoor training that winter. And this was our philosophy. Every kid on this team is going to play three positions. They're going to play a position in the infield. They're going to play a position in the outfield. And they're going to pitch or catch. So we developed pitchers that weren't pitchers. We developed infielders that weren't infielders, and outfielders that weren't outfielders, to a point where we had depth everywhere. And take my son, uh, Nicholas, for example, because this was his team. Uh, play Nicholas at first. You can play Nicholas at second. You can play him in right field, center field, pitcher. And he can cover any of that on that travel team. In rec, he could play anywhere on the field. He, could, he, he played shortstop today, third base today at practice, the whole other side of the field. Um, so the point being is, he, where does he specialize in? I'd say he's the best at first and second. He's, he's become a very good pitcher. But that's because we started working on that. Because I knew somebody can come and take my pitchers. So if you can come and take my pitchers, I better have 12 pitchers. It's building that depth. If you take four of them away, I still have eight. So with that thought in mind, take that into the fire service now. Okay, you have engine company personnel. You have ladder company personnel. You have people that you know can, can uh, should be on a rescue company. People can do all sorts of things. On my department, you can come to work on a 24-hour shift. You could spend the first 10 hours uh, riding on the back of the engine. And the next 10 hours, riding on the back of the ladder. Sure. So, uh, it, I mean, that, that it's just the way that it works. So any given day, you don't know where you're going to be. So are you an engine company or a ladder company type person? I was built more for engine company type work, right? But I was on a ladder plenty of times. I know people that are the complete opposite. So focus on your strengths, yes. If you're a pitcher, if you're a shortstop, I want to play you there more. But I want to know that I can throw you at first base if my first baseman doesn't show up or get sick. So let me at least train you in some of your weak areas so you have that skill too. So so as much as I agree with Maxwell, and I agree with this, the, the secret to success is find out what people are great at and put them in the right position. That's the secret to success in team building. Put the right people in the right positions and get out of their way. That being said, give them the ability and the chance to learn something else 
because you never know when they're going to have to move into and it happens all the time tony miola i mentioned him a moment ago here's a perfect example tony miola was the best goalkeeper in the state in new jersey they won the state championship right his junior year he's the goalkeeper john harks was putting the ball in the goal scoring for our, for carney constantly and tony's preventing the other team from scoring the next year john harks he graduates he goes and plays a soccer out in virginia university of virginia tony now is playing. They don't have anybody to put the ball in the net. Well, Tony's best friend, Sal, ends up becoming the goaltender. Tony moves up to striker, and he leads the state in scoring that year. Wow. Even though he was a goaltender. Right. So, work on your strengths, but work on your weaknesses, too, because you never know when you're going to have to adapt. I like it. It's a good answer. It's a long answer, I know, and I, but I hope I'm making the point, whereas... Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, if you're a pitcher, I want you pitching, but I want to know that I can throw you in the outfield too if I need to. No, I like it. I like the analogy. So it's beautiful. I like the way you use sports for your analogies. I really do. I enjoy them. Um, last question before I get to the uh, books and stuff, which is uh, chapter four of Step Up and Lead. I know I'm picking on Step Up and Lead a lot, but it had a big impact I love on. It. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah. It has a great acronym for the atmosphere of a department, and you kind of and it's CARE, K A R E, which is knowledge, attitude, respect, and excellence. And I know it's a, it's a rabbit hole we could go down, a multifaceted problem, but I really want to just kind of throw this at you and say what you thought of it, which is, in your opinion, how does a firefighter lose touch with that care, that, that knowledge, attitude, respect, and, and want for excellence? I think they would lose touch with that if they become self-absorbed and they forget why we exist. We exist to solve other people's problems. And let me, and let me clarify that. You have signed up to make their problems your problems. When someone dials 911 and you show up, you're not there to solve their problem anymore. You've inherited their problem as your own. Your you problem. said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come into this house that's on fire. I'm going to step into this challenge of your life that may be the biggest challenge you've ever had in your life, and I'm going to accept the responsibility, and I'm going to do what I can to make things better. And when you now lose sight of that fact, and, and if you, I mean, just the word care itself, when you stop caring for other people and you stop um, putting their needs ahead of your own, because that's why we, listen, that, that's why we show up. I just had a great conversation with J.P. Donnell, who's a Navy, you know, he worked with Jocko and, and Leif and, and all those guys that you hear about constantly. The movies are made about these guys, American Sniper, uh, J.P. Donnell was basically the counterpart, uh, you know, of of the gentleman who the, the movie uh, American Sniper was based on, right? Like, he, he did the same exact thing. He was just not, but when we were talking uh, a little bit in our conversation, he says, you know, um, we train to solve other people's problems. And you have to really kind of know yourself but also kind of lose yourself, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to say, right? Like, I have to know what I stand for, what I believe in. But I also need to need to put my ego aside and put my, my uh, I, I guess, personal um, goal aside as far what I want for me, because now it's about them for the next 30 minutes, hour, however long it is before we for us to mitigate this problem, to put this fire out, to save these people, to do what we have to do. It's not about me. It's about we, right? 
Oh, as a team, who are we here for? Them. That's, I guess, is is it is just uh, getting people focused back on that and and plugging them back into that care factor. It's easy. I mean, listen, this is a uh, life is hard. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat. Yeah, you know, I saw this thing somebody posted today on social media. It said, "If you could pick any of these two things, what could they be?" Uh, you know, two. One was forget your ex. Another one was to eat without gaining weight. And another one was to be happy, have all the money in the world, all this stuff. And everybody's choose to have all the money to be able to eat anything I want without getting it. They're choosing all these things. And, and I'm, I'm looking at what everybody's, you know, the numbers they're picking. And I'm like, I just looked at 12 people or 13 people. Not one of them chose to be happy, right? They didn't choose to be happy. They, you know, all the money in the world. Okay, got all. Uh, you know what? There's plenty of people that have all the money in the world that are not happy, that sure. are miserable, right? There's plenty of people that that um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, aren't focused on on something bigger than themselves. And when we get so caught up in just us, and I, I it happens to me, it happens to everybody. It's easy to get depressed. It's easy to get anxiety. It's easy, easy to have. You know, the, all these challenges that we have in life keeping you down. I'm a, I'm a public speaker. I love speaking, okay? I was speaking 50 times a year and turning down more than 50 a year. COVID hits. Three months of nothing. Yeah. Three months of everything being canceled. You know what? And I said, okay, you know what? This is good because what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on my family, okay? And I'm going to focus on – and I and they're my priority anyway – but this is why we were out training in baseball and doing everything. And, and now the requests are coming in again. You know, I had three just today. And I'm like, okay, it's all starting up again. This is great. And I'm very grateful for those three months because it allowed me to, to take my eyes completely off myself uh, and just focus on, on these little beings that I brought into this world that I'm responsible for, you know, and hopefully make some good decisions for them. That sounds like they're getting some good uh and not just advice, good life lessons and, and examples just from talking to you today. Uh, um, I hope so. All right. I always like to ask um, if there is a book that you think firefighters should read. And it's not limited to one. You can list as many as you like. But And, of course, I'm always going to say step up and lead, step up your teamwork, uh, your tactics stuff. So I can't uh, – but besides your stuff, I'm asking what books would you suggest a firefighter to read? Oh, man, you know, just so many great ones. I was, I was always uh, – I guess a, a big fan of uh, of uh, Rick Lasky's Pride and Ownership, great book. Um, and I think that uh, Fire Officer's Handbook of Tactics is a tremendous book. I think it's the first read for almost everybody in the fire service. If you want to talk about non-fire books, um, I already mentioned It's Your Ship, which is fantastic. And also just a great people book that's highly underrated in our industry how to win friends and influence people, you know, because here's a book that just talks to you about how to communicate with people because we are in a people business too. We're always spending time talking to our customers and that book teaches you some basic things on, on what people want to hear, you know, how people are, uh, will think you're a great conversationalist if you spent 40 minutes talking to them and you only spent 10% of that time being the one actually talking. Right on. And you let them do this, you know? 
and they'll walk away going, wow, what Corley's great, man. I mean, I had a great conversation. <laughs> right. Right. But then when you think about it, wait, Corley spoke 10% of the time. But he was also, he, he knew my name. He treated me with respect. He looked me in the eyes. He smiled a lot. He showed, you know, uh, signs that he just, just uh, signs that he respected me. I just talked to another coach today about a similar thing just before this call, actually. Um, he coaches one of my, uh, one of my son's teams and he drafted a kid onto that team that I absolutely love. And we were, and yesterday we were at practice and he was very stern and strict with him. And so I called him up to talk about something else. And he said, look, I'm still trying to learn these kids. I said, well, let me tell you about one of them. I said, the way you coached him yesterday was like Billy Martin from the Yankees. It's almost like he felt like he was being reprimanded. What he needs is Tommy Lasorda. He needs the coach that comes up, puts his arm around him, and says, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. Let me just share with you something that I, that I uh, watched that I think you'd do a little better. He responds to that. And if you do that, you're going to bring him to the next level because, you know, you're the right coach for him. But, you know, when, when you were being real stern with him, like he, almost like he's a high school kid when he's only 10. Right. Uh, I, I could see the kid's face and I could see his face like, oh, no, what did I get myself into? <laughs> this isn't the coach I'm used to, you know. So, um, you know, just be aware of all that. You know, try to be aware of the people around you. Be aware that when you have to when somebody just had three broken windows and, and some smoke in, in their uh, and fire damage in their house, that could be very, very, very traumatic for them. Maybe they didn't lose a pet or a family member, God willing, but they still maybe lost a photo album. Yeah. And, and that photo album could mean the world. To them. Yeah. We had a fire one time where uh, the, the, uh, two girls that lived in the house had come up to me. I was the incident commander and I started talking to them and they said that her father's, their father's ashes were in the living room and in a, in a cardboard box, you know, like uh, kind of like a cigar box that the ashes were in there, which I thought was, there's no way. I mean, that living room was, there was fire everywhere. There's no way right. it survived. Right. So I asked them where, they told me where, it was in a cabinet. We went to that cabinet, we opened it up, and that thing was untouched. Nice. And when we brought that out and handed it to these girls, you should have seen how appreciative they were to have that. And and you can understand why. Oh, yeah. You know, but um, what doesn't seem like a big deal to you could be a huge deal to somebody else. And hopefully anybody that's listened to this realizes that we show up, we solve their problems, which we've inherited as our own, but it may not seem, we don't have the emotional connection to it, Right. but they do. That's why I'm not a big fan of, hey, let's all get together and take a picture with the burnt building behind us. Yeah, I'm not there. a big fan. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think you just brought it around full circle all the way back to empathy. And uh, yeah. that's a nice, uh, nice uh, way to close out that discussion. Uh, the How to Win Friends and Influence People. I avoided that book for so long just because the title of it. I was like, I don't need a book to tell me how to, how to win friends, you know, but man, it is a powerful book. And so I love it. Yeah, at first you think it's about like how to manipulate right. people. To, 
but it's not about that. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's really a fantastic book that I've read multiple times. I've been very grateful for it. Now, if you just get the first three rules and just follow those first three rules, it'll change your life that day. You know, it's crazy how, how impactful it is. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about don't criticize, condemn or complain. complain yes. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And that is, that's very, very powerful stuff. The, uh, thing I do here on the weekly scrap is called five questions for firefighters and the questions are always okay. evolving, but they've been pretty steady. We get into good, good. And, and some of these you've already answered kind of in our talk, but of course I'll still hit you with them. <clears throat> and so, um, it's supposed to be kind of rapid fire. It started off as one question, which was question one, okay. but I felt like it's a little negative. So I added the other ones to kind of flesh it out. So are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Let's do it. All right. Number one, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Well, to, right now, what I'm seeing, and I'm this is this was not have been my my answer a month ago, okay. but right now it's social media because I'm watching firefighters that have gone to social media and they don't realize that uh, free speech is not free from consequence, and that's a very challenging thing for a lot of people to wrap their brain around. But what I'm seeing right now is is some things you should just keep off of there and and focus on what you could do to make your department better. Because as much as I appreciate social media, um, I think that people don't realize that uh, it could be poisonous too. Oh, yeah. Just get your mind off of that, go into your fire department, and start having ownership mentality right in your own fire station. You know, turn the phone off and open up the book and focus on becoming the best firefighter you can. Because we're losing people. Because, you know, it's a very transient business. People come in, people leave. People come in, people leave constantly, whether it be retirements, promotions, whatever it may be. And there's always someone else that has to now fit into that position. You're going to need pictures. You're going to lose your pictures, right? Uh, right on. So, so it's a combination of those two things. And I mentioned social media because I just, I turn it on now and I look at and I, what people post. I'm thinking, oh, my God, what are they thinking? Right. What are they thinking? And, and, uh, and I, I just think we need to do a better job at protecting the image that I love so much about the firefighter and the fire service. We're one of the most respected, if not the most respected profession in the world. And we set the bar uh, for camaraderie and respect and taking care of each other and community. We set the bar for words like that. And I don't want this to be the generation that destroys that. And so focus on what we are all about, which is something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Before you hit that post button, recognize that you represent that Maltese cross for everybody. Exactly. So I love that answer. Good answer. Okay. Next question two. What is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? You know what? Just that's a great question. And I think um, if I have to, what do I, what's the thing that I'm most excited about? Probably the fact that, that, you know, with the way the technology evolves, I mean, you can think about it. My father always said that the greatest invention was the SCBA because it allowed them to get into the building, you know, right. and do the job. I mean, without having to suck in all that smoke. Sure. And then, you know, we get these things, we get the, the thermal imaging cameras and we get all these other things that allow us to go. Uh, deeper into the building and further and do things that we weren't capable of doing before. 
And hopefully technology keeps improving in a way that it helps us do our job better. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how to answer that particular question. The first thing that came to mind was something completely different than that answer. Here's the first thing that came to mind. That my mother had called me up two days ago, and she told me that Jimmy, who is the grandson of one of her best friends, that Jimmy uh, just got the call to become a firefighter. And I got so excited because three years ago, little Jimmy called me up uh, and said, you know, that his grandfather had given me the number and thought I can help him uh, go down this path to becoming a firefighter. And I gave him all the advice I can. And I thought, you know what, that's pretty exciting. So the first thing that came to mind initially was Jimmy and people like Jimmy that that want to be a firefighter so bad. They're getting in this job. And I hope that once they get here that they try to make it better than we ever could. Wow. Both answers are awesome. Technology and the, and the, and the new guys coming in with the passion. Uh, number three, question three, best rank or position to have in the fire service. All right, listen. So you're always going to miss being a firefighter. Okay. But I can tell you that, uh, being a deputy was awesome. Uh, being a deputy chief, because for me personally, it allowed me to, to, I guess you could tell I like to coach. It allowed me to be a coach in the fire service, not just on the baseball diamond. And it allowed me to run a shift, um, to try to reshape a culture. Uh, it allowed me to really try to connect and show people that, that, that you can be that type of leader that puts the arm around the shoulder and says, I'm taking every step with you and not keep that distance uh, between you and the people you're trying to lead. So I loved that position. That being said, it also came with a lot of administrative tasks. It came with a lot of responsibility. Right. It came with a heavy weight because every decision that you made on the fire ground, lives depended on it. Uh, and so you do miss the, the guy that's, advancing the line into the building or the girl that's doing that. You do miss being that person. Right. And uh, and going back to that, Hey, I don't have to come back and write reports. I just need to make sure the apparatus is, uh, is uh, basically all squared away and ready to go for the next call. And let me clean this gear and I'm gonna go up to the kitchen and and make some coffee. Right. You'll always miss that once you become an officer. That's awesome. Uh, Number four, best advice you ever received. Um, the best advice I ever received was was ultimately get started and stop stopping. Because I was pretty good, like most people, at starting something. Like I wanted to be a better firefighter. I'm going to pick up this book. I'm going to read it. And next thing you know, six months went by after I read that book. Oh, wait, we have a promotion coming up? Oh, let me grab another book so I can read and because I want to shout out the promotion. That's the crazy part. We all put so much effort into trying to become, uh, you know, a... That I got Paul Combs actually texting me right now. Uh, well, we all become a, a uh, you know a better version of ourselves right when it's promotion time. But then after the promotion is over, whether you get it or not, people put the books away and spend the next two years doing nothing. Right. And uh, you know, stay in the books. That's my advice for everybody: stay in it, get better, get started, but stop stopping. And that's just the key to success. Stop stopping. I like that. I hadn't heard that. I had to think about it for a second. Get started, but stop. And stop stopping. Well, you know, because every time you stop, you need to restart. And you can't create momentum. No momentum you can't create yeah. urgency. And momentum and urgency is how you become a great team. 
Think about it on the fire ground when we have momentum. You can't just stop on the fire ground and say, you know what? Let's take a break right now. No, <laughs> hold on. We're not taking a break. Right. We got started. We can't stop. But in life, people stop all the time. They stop their forward progress and their momentum, whether it's becoming a great firefighter or anything else in life. Stop stopping. Love that. Love that. Number five, final question of the five questions for firefighters. Heavy fire and tenable space, would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in VES? I told you I'm an engine guy, right? So not, the nozzle is the place where I was most comfortable. You know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the advancing it, uh, opening up that line and, and, and uh, putting that fire out. That was, that was fun for me. Uh, that being said, uh, when I became a deputy, I loved training at VES. We didn't do enough training, I felt, when I was a firefighter in that. And I loved training in it. And I kind of, I created, I had more of a passion for it at that level than I did as a firefighter. Because, again, I spent the majority of my time on an engine company anyway. And, uh, and we weren't doing all that much of it. But uh, for me, that's my place. That's awesome. Well, thank you for doing the five questions for firefighters. Thank you for an unbelievably uh, enlightening and fun uh, interview. Um, tell everybody the best place to contact you to book a class, buy a book, anything else you want to talk about. I heard you are writing another book, correct? The eighth book coming out? I finished the book, yeah. Um, yeah, I finished the book. I'm just right now trying to figure out uh, if I'm going to publish through a particular publisher or not. Um, it, it's, it's called Flashpoint. And it's talking about, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into it. I'll wait till it's really out. But it's, I basically am giving eight steps to help you and your team, you know, reach your own personal flashpoint, That's so awesome. to speak. And uh, I'm real excited about teaching for years. I'm easy to find social media, just my name, Frank Viscuso, V-I-S-C-U-S-O. Uh, but on, on Facebook, uh, my Step Up and Lead page, uh, I'm active on that quite a bit. Um, on my website, uh, which is also frankdiscuso.com, uh, it's easy to contact me. Frank at commonvalor.com is my email address. And all my, uh, I mean, honestly, if you go to my website or my uh, social media pages, you'll find uh, very easy ways to get a hold of me. That's awesome. Man, I cannot say thank you enough for taking a evening to spend talking fire stuff and just sharing your insight. Um, I am amazed every time I ask someone if they'd like to come on and talk. They say, yes, I'm blown away and humbled. So thank you for doing that, and I've really enjoyed it. Um, everybody watching, thank you for the questions. Um, that's what I got. Uh, Corley, thank you. I, I mean, I appreciate the call. I'm always amazed that anybody calls and wants me to come on. <laughs> so thank you, my friend. It's, it, this was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. I had a lot of fun. For everybody else, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there, and thank you, Chief. You're welcome. You take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.